Hello, welcome back to another edition of the Wrestling Highlights of the Week, presented by My Two Cents Podcast, hosted by G2. I am here to give you your Wrestling Highlights of the Week for Raw, SmackDown, NXT, AEW Dynamite, AEW Rampage, and Impact Wrestling. And before today's episode is over with, I'll be giving you my Royal Rumble predictions since the Royal Rumble is tonight, if you're listening to this episode, when it is attended on a Saturday. But if you're not, hey, it is what it is. Now, with that being said, let's start the show. So we start with Monday Night Raw. Monday Night Raw would open up with the World Heavyweight Champion Seth Rollins coming down to the ring. And Seth Rollins would walk to the ring with a somber look and a somber walk because he's out here with a knee brace on. And we get straight to business with Seth in the middle of the ring. But first, the crowd would say, thank you, Seth. Uh, Seth would tell the crowd, thank you for giving him that because he feels all the love because he's been going through something this past week. And he mentions how... In this match with Jinder Mahal last week, when he did a springboard moonsault, he felt something in his knee, but he really didn't feel it until after the match. So last week he got to get he had an MRI done, and he has two tears in his knee, like a tear in his uh, MCL and a partially torn medical meniscus. And he says that the doctor says that with surgery he's going to be out for three to four weeks. Well, not weeks, excuse me, months. So with that, we get. To the point that we think that Seth's about to say, hey, yo, I'm not going to be around, all this stuff. But before you can actually say what's going to happen, I would walk Imperium. You would have Imperium come down, Gunther would get in the ring by himself. His other two guys would be outside the ring. So you get the Intercontinental Champion and the World Heavyweight Champion standing face to face. Seth would tell Gunther point blank, yo, if you guys are out here trying to beat me up, come on, let's get it over with. I ain't got time for this. And Gunther would tell him, nah, it's nothing like that. He would applaud Seth for actually coming out here, being a fighting champion, doing all that stuff that a champion should. And he mentions how Seth has been kind of avoiding him throughout his time as champion. But he tells Seth he isn't the workhorse champion. He isn't that guy because that honor belongs to the ring general. That honor belongs to Gunther and that he would have love to meet Seth at WrestleMania to take the White Way Championship away from him. So you get Gunther saying all this, and Seth would tell Gunther that, hey, if you would let me finish, you would have heard out the whole process. Seth lets everyone know he isn't going anywhere. He's going to take this day by day, but Seth plans on basically being around. He's not going to try to uh, get surgery. At least that's the way it came off. So we get this feeling that Seth's going to be around. He might just try to heal the knee up by doing some rehab. Gunther, he tells Seth point blank, listen, he's going to win the Royal Rumble. And when he does, he's going after Seth for the World Heavyweight Championship at WrestleMania. And he's going to target the knee because he wants to take out Seth and become the new World Heavyweight Champion by WrestleMania. So we get Gunther saying that. Seth will tell him, you got to remember who you're dealing with. I am Seth Freaking Rollins. I'm the World Heavyweight Champion, and I'm going to enter WrestleMania the same way that I'm leaving out WrestleMania as World Heavyweight Champion. So Seth would throw the mic down, and you see Gunther look at Seth. Seth look at Gunther. Then you see New Day attack both Ludwig Kaiser and Giovanni Vinci, who's on the outside of the ring. Now, this was set up our first match of the night, New Day versus uh, Imperium. This will lead to a double countout. When both teams will continue to fight outside of the ring, they don't care about the referee's count. They just want to fight one another because this has been building up bad blood at least for, I'll say, a month now. 
So with this happening, they'll fight outside of the ring. They'll fight into the crowd. Uh, Xavier has Ludwig Kaiser on his shoulders as they're on top of a crate. You see Xavier wants to throw Ludwig off the crate onto a table, but Giovanni Vinci, he would get up there to save Ludwig Kaiser. Kofi would get on the crate. Now you have New Day pull, basically spear Imperium off the crate through a table, and that ends this segment, ends this match. Solid match here. It gets people to remember that New Day is not just a flash in the pan team. They've been around for, this will be a decade now when it hits December as a team all together. So again, this reminds people that the New Day is who they are. They're not just a jokey, make joke, joke style of team. They're a 12-time tag team champion. They have all the accolades to back it up. Now, later in the night, you would see Xavier and Kofi sitting on a crate. Uh, Jay Uso would walk up to him. He'll dap him up, give him ice uh, bags to place on their body. An interviewer will walk up to Kofi. Kofi would say everything I just said, that a New Day is not a joke team. They've been around, yada, yada, yada. And that he mentions how Jay Uso is looking for singles gold. Same thing that Kofi's looking forward to. So Kofi will throw out the challenge for next week on Monday Night Raw to go against Gunther for the Intercontinental Championship, and it will be made official. So next week on Raw, we're going to have the Intercontinental Championship being defended, Gunther versus Kofi Kingston. Now after this, we go to a backstage uh, segment as we just saw a video package for the upcoming match in the main event of Drew McIntyre versus uh, Damian Priest. You see the Judgment Day watching the television. Everybody, except for Rhea, is kind of hyping up uh, Damian Priest. And Rhea just basically gets that Priest say, listen, this was not a good idea. We don't need more enemies. We don't need Drew to be coming after you because next week you guys will be defending your tag team titles against DIY. So you don't need to be dealing with this right now. Priest will get so upset. He tells Rhea, listen, I'm not the one that's walking around here with a big head because they're on the cover of the video game 2K14. I'm not the guy that's going to constantly make matches for the Judgment Day by going into Adam Pierce's office. So Pierce is, well, not Pierce, Priest is upset that Rhea is constantly just being the head and leader of Judgment Day and needs her to just mind her own and allow them to mind theirs. And you will see Priest tell her that I'm going to handle Drew, I'm going to take care of all this, and he will leave. Rhea would then look at J.D. McDonough and Dominic and say that she's not mad at them for not taking care of DIY. She's disappointed in them. And then she'll go over to Finn, who's been smiling and just laughing at all this. She'll tell Finn that he she wants him at ringside with J.D. McDonough when Dominic takes on, uh, God, The Miz. Because Finn, he's been missing, missing that vicious side that she wants to see and be more vicious. So Rhea basically gives out everybody's marching orders, and everybody goes about it later in the night. Now, we'll go to our next match. Ivy Nile, who have Maxine Dupree in her corner, going against Valhalla. Ivy Nile would win the match by pinfall by hitting an avalanche bulldog for the win. Solid matchup. No more need to be said. Uh, Next up, we will have Nia Jax coming down to the ring. Nia Jax will be in the middle of the ring, talking about uh, last week's Rhea Ripley, Becky Lynch face to face, and how both of them want to face each other at WrestleMania. Nia says, "I don't blame them because both of them don't want to see her." Nia talks about beating Becky Lynch a couple weeks ago and how she could basically just beat Rhea Ripley 
when she goes to win the Royal Rumble, out walks Becky Lynch. Becky tells Nia to shut up and that she's glad that Nia found something finally to talk about. She can hang her cap on beating Becky a couple weeks ago, but she isn't going to win the Royal Rumble. That's going to be her. Then out walks Bailey. Bailey would get on both Nia and Becky's nerves, leading to both Nia and Becky being up on Bailey. Becky would hit Bailey with a manhandle slam. Then you see Nia hit Bailey with the leg drop. Becky would leave, and that's how the segment would end. Again, setting up for their uh, Women's Royal Rumble at the Royal Rumble. And I'm glad that we saw some SmackDown women wrestlers on Monday Night Raw. And this won't be the last time we will see SmackDown women wrestlers on Raw as well. Now, after this, we move over to our next matchup. Dominic Mysterio with JD and Finn Balor in his corner. Going against The Miz, Dominic would win the match by pinfall when Dominic would hit Miz with a frog splash for the win. After that, you see Finn rush into the ring, beat up on The Miz until DIY comes down to make the save. They beat up on Dominic. They beat up on JD. Finn's able to slide out of the ring. You see Miz hit JD with the Skull Crusher finale, and as DIY is about to hit meat in the middle on JD, Finn will pull JD out of the ring, and you will see the rest of the Judgment Day walk to the back. So DIY came down to save the Miz. Miz is a good guy, and this sets up for DIY's matchup with uh, Judgment Day next week. Now, after this, we would go backstage, and Damian Priest, he's having an interview. Damian Priest would mention how He's going to handle Drew McIntyre later in the night. He calls Drew stupid, not really a competition. He can handle him by himself. And then you see Archie walk up to Damian Priest. He tries to give Priest more money from selling all the uh, Judgment Day merchandise that has his name on it. And Priest tells him, hey, man, listen, I appreciate you, but I'm not in the mood. It's not the right time. Drew says, all right, so I'll talk to you later. Priest says, yep, talk to you later. So Truth would move out of the way. Priest would get back to his business talking about Drew McIntyre, saying how Drew couldn't beat Roman Reigns, Gunther, or Seth Rollins, and how Drew was only the man whenever the world wasn't at 100%. But since the world got back at being 100%, he hasn't been that guy. He's basically purely jealous of Priest and doesn't want Priest to win the world title. Now, after Priest is done talking, we go to our next match. Chad Gable versus Ivar Dis would be the match of the night for Monday Night Raw. Ivar and Chad Gable, they tore it up. Uh, Ivar would win the match by pinfall, hitting a moonsault off the top rope onto Chad Gable after hitting him with a, I want to say a powerbomb off the top turnbuckle, but he basically grabbed Chad Gable off the top turnbuckle, hit him with a powerbomb. But Chad Gable like landed on his head on the mat. It was an awkward landing. It looked horrible. But Ivar would then go to the top, hit a moonsault on Chad Gable to win the match. Uh, Chad Gable and Ivar, they did, they were the big man, little man uh, comparison. And again, Chad Gable, he has been proven to everyone that he deserves to be in contention to win a kind of championship from Gunther. I still think he should. Uh, with Chad Gable still making that promise, talking about he promised his daughter and he swore to God that he was going to take that title off of Gunther. I hope he's the guy to do it. But we'll wait and see about that. Um, but Chad Gable, he had a good match with Ivar here. He even hit a Exploder Suplex or T-Bone Suplex off the top turnbuckle. I mean, there's no more you can say about Chad Gable. I think the only thing that's getting people not to look at Chad Gable the way that they need to put respect on his name is, is, is that he's not 
as tall as the past Olympians or uh, people that they like to put him in comparison with, like Kurt Angle. Kurt Angle, I believe, was like six foot, six foot one. And Chad Gable, he isn't that. I believe he was like five nine, five ten, if anything. And again, they don't really put respect on him. I'm going to say they as in the top brass. Hopefully Triple H will change that, but we'll wait and see. But Chad Gable, he had a good match here. Same thing with Ivar. Ivar is nothing to sneeze at, too. He's a big man. He can move around and do everything. So I hope both of them have a great 2024. Now, after this, we get to the showdown and matchup face-to-face that we've been waiting on all night. Cody Rhodes and CM Punk. They will get in the ring, and Cody and Punk just soak in the fans, cheer for both of them. It's really a 50-50 uh, like split between both of them. And CM Punk would tell Cody first, before they get into business, he has to tell him a story about, in 2007, how Dusty Rhodes called up CM Punk and tell him that Cody was being sent to OVW and that he wanted Punk to keep an eye on him. Punk would say that he did keep an eye out on Cody, but he didn't have to, like, put an arm onto Cody the way that, you know, a mentor would have to because Cody, he didn't fall into the vices that all of their contemporaries did. And this will lead to Punk basically saying that he's proud of Cody and that he knows that at the Royal Rumble is only going to be basically those two, and that he feels that he's going to be breaking a promise because at the Royal Rumble, he knows what he has to do in order to win the Rumble and to make it at WrestleMania. He's going to have to eliminate Cody. Cody would pay back to go forward to Punk, saying that he knew that when he showed up to OVW, he had no matches underneath his belt. He was a nepotism hire, and Punk built his name on the independence for 10 years and still treated Cody Rose like a peer when at that time he could have treated Cody basically less. So he thanks Punk for that, but he does remember and know that they're no friends at the Royal Rumble. And they're basically going to be just doing business. Punk will say, but what about Sunday? What about Sunday? Can you separate personal from business? Because he, he can. Unlike Cody, Punk didn't have a father that was a megastar in this business. Punk wasn't raised up in this business, so everything that's business is personal for Cody, unlike Punk. So now this is whenever we start getting the shots. Basically start being thrown from Punk to Cody, and Cody would respond. I didn't have the famous dad. I didn't have the American dream Dusty Rhodes, son of a plumber. Global international heavyweight champion, superstar wrestler recognized on the streets. I didn't have the famous dad. My father was blue collar. My father was just a regular guy. He was an electrician, which makes it kind of ironic. I'm more of the American dream than you are. Okay, American dream. Here's what I want to talk about. Let's talk about the pipe bomb. You said a few words. You rattled off the formula for a revolution. You inspired countless. There are wrestlers who have gotten in this today because of said interview. Count me one of those who was inspired. But then you left. And when you left, you really left. You didn't pass the torch off. You dropped it on the way out. And I don't think you cared who picked it up, but I think you know who did. I did. Everything 
everything that you spoke about, I literally did. So where you talked, I walked. And what is actually ironic, that makes me more CM Punk than you. Cody Rhodes, you have carried this company on your back for a soul-crushing two years. And you're right around the corner, and they hand you the cover of the WWE 2K video game. Congratulations, by the way. It's on sale pretty soon, I'm sure. And right when you're about to cross the finish line and finish your story. Oh, wait! What's that in the distance? It's a much bigger superstar that hasn't been around in a very long time coming to take it all away from you and i'm talking about me you might be right you talked all about the american dream well then you should know this he was my best friend and he regularly quoted john wayne and the quote i heard the most is courage is being scared to death but saddling up anyways you may be right, but I have only one direction I can go. I have to go, and that's forward. And that's in the Royal Rumble. That direction goes through you. So there you have it, the two frontrunners for the Royal Rumble, Cody Rose and CM Punk. I think everybody knew that going into the Rumble, but just hearing those two just basically just going at it the way that we just got there, and that's just the tip of the iceberg. Uh, I think Cody Rhodes said what he had to say and what he wanted to say just a little bit because Cody did mention whenever he was leaving AEW in his final, I believe, promo of AEW, how he had something set up for Punk, at least a promo set up in line for him. And that kind of goes in tune with what Cody kind of said even on his last run in AEW with the last promo saying that, hey, Punk is here in AEW. Punk, everybody gives praise to Punk for the pipe bomb, this and that, but they got to remember I did everything that Punk said he was going to do. And with Cody reverberating that here, after Punk said that he is more American Dream than Cody, and how now Cody said that he's more CM Punk than CM Punk, I believe the Royal Rumble is going to be fire. But I'll get more into that when I talk about the Royal Rumble uh, towards the end of the show here. But again, great uh, showdown between the two. But I think everybody knows these two are the legit front runners for the Rumble. Uh, next up, we have the women's tag team matchup of Candice LeRae and Indy Hartwell going against Shayna Baszler as we start. Uh, the women's tag team champions will be on, not commentary, they'll be at ringside for this matchup. Uh, Shayna Baszler and Zoe Starks, they would win the match by hitting the Z360 from Zoe Stark onto Candice LeRae to win the match. Now, after the match, you will see the women's tag team champions being attacked by the Kabuki Warriors. Asuka and Kyrie Sane would attack Katana Chance and Kaden Carter. Uh, they will lay them out in the ring because this is set up their women tag team matchup that's going to happen on SmackDown. And I'll get more into that on SmackDown. So again, as I said, this was the last time we saw SmackDown women's wrestlers on Raw, as I mentioned, Bailey earlier. Basically, damage control, and I like that. I hope that uh, we get more of that. Not just because we're going into Royal Rumble, hopefully at WrestleMania season as well. I like whenever SmackDown stars jump over to Raw, and Raw stars jump over to SmackDown. I like seeing that, and hopefully we get more of that when the time comes, especially when these big uh, shows come around. Now, we move over into the main event, Damian Priest going against Drew McIntyre, and Drew McIntyre, he will win the match by a pinfall, thanks in part to interference from R-Truth, because Damian Priest, he looked like he had the match won whenever he was beaten up uh, Drew outside the ring, threw Drew into the ring. Truth would go at Priest and try to hand him the money again the same way that he did earlier. This time again, Priest would shove Truth and tell him, I told you, 
it's not the right time. So once Priest gets back in the ring, you see Drew and Priest constantly battle back and forth, and now Drew has the upper hand. Drew looks to hit Priest with a Claymore kick. Truth would get on the apron because he tried to open up Priest's money in the bank to put the money inside the money in the bank. See what he did there? And you see him get on the apron and start yelling at Priest, what's the combination? And Drew, he will see it and just walk over to Truth and punch him in the face. Now, this will have the referee distracted. The referee will go over the truth to see if he's okay. Drew will look at Priest and look to hit him with a Claymore kick. Drew will get caught by Priest and get hit with a South of Heaven chokeslam. And now, as Priest is covering Drew, and everybody's counting one, two, three, four, the referee's still not paying attention because he's dealing with R-Truth. Priest, he would get up, look at the referee, move the referee, grab Truth, and just say, what did I tell you? And then throw him out of the ring. And once Priest goes back to look at Drew, Drew would hit Priest with a Claymore kick to win the match. So Drew, he wins the match by inadvertent uh, interference from R-Truth. And I think we're going to have more of this going into the Rumble, I'm going to be completely honest. I think Priest and Truth are going to have a moment, probably at the Royal Rumble or even inside the Royal Rumble match. And I think that's going to be a real shining point of when we're probably going to see all the Judgment Day, J.D., Dominic, uh, Finn, Beat him on truth, and I think it's going to be a point whether Priest has to join in on the beatdown or he's going to make the save and say, ah, don't attack truth. So it's going to be a real funny dynamic because then they'll set up what's going to happen next week because DIY has to face Judgment Day for the tag team titles, and that'll be a real scary uh, situation because if Priest helps truth not get attacked in the Royal Rumble, it's going to put a fraction between, well, a strain between, uh, him and the rest of the Judgment Day, or if he helps beat up Truth, then we can see Truth kind of getting at the Judgment Day next week on Monday Night Raw. So again, this leads to a whole lot of possibilities of what could happen at the Royal Rumble and next week on Monday Night Raw. I like where we could go with this, and I'll just wait and see what happens. Now, with that, that was your Raw Wrestling Highlights of the Week. And now we move over to NXT. NXT will open up with the semifinals of the Dusty Tag Team Classic. You will have the tag team of Braun Breaker and Baron Corbin going against Axiom and Nathan Frazier. Braun Breaker and Baron Corbin would win the match by pinfall when Braun Breaker would hit Nathan Frazier with the spear. This would advance Braun Breaker and Baron Corbin to the finals of Dusty Tag Team Classic. Um, Solid matchup to open up NXT. You had the power... Slash hybrid a little bit of Baron Corbin and Braun. Um, Baron being the power. Uh, Braun, he could do everything. He could do high flying if he feels like it. He could do uh, speed. He could do the strength. I mean, that's where the hybrid part of the team comes in here with. And then you had Nathan Frazier and Axiom, who are two high flying guys. They use all their speed and uh, quick strikes to try to do and try to out best Baron and Braun. And it Worked for a little bit. You even come towards the end of the match where Axiom would hit um, Braun with the Avalanche Spanish Fly and Nathan Frigid would tag in and he would hit a Phoenix Splash and Baron Corbin would break it up. Baron would hit Axiom with the end of days and he would try to hit Nathan with it, but Nathan would counter it, kick uh, Baron in the head, and this allowed Braun to hit him with a spear and get the win for the team. It was a solid opening matchup. And again, this proves why. Sometimes the Mitch match teams actually do work together. In the Dusty Tatting Classic, the tournament style always proves that because the first uh, champions were 
Finn and Smojo, which were a great tag team for that time. You had Matt Riddle and Pete Dunne, who were the Broserweeds. They were a great tag team for that time period. And now it seems that we're getting that with Braun Breaker and Baron Corbin. And if they continue to be a tag team, even after the Dusty Tag Team Classic, I think they could be a great tag team for NXT, or they could just be in alliance uh, situation and just watch each other's back either on NXT or the main roster when they get called up, one or the two. But again, solid opening matchup for NXT. Now, after this, you would go backstage. You see Josh Briggs confront Ilya Dragunov, who, in a conversation with one of the stage handlers, Briggs would walk in. Briggs would accuse Dragunov of having underhanded dealings to keep his championship by saying that you're making Trick um, defend or rather yet receive his championship matchup at Vengeance Day when you know Trick has to go through this dusty tag team classic. Josh Briggs is doing all this because he wants to have a match with Ilya because Ilya is a measuring stick and Josh wants to see where he measures at because since he's broken away now from his team with Fallon and Brooks Jensen, and he got the endorsement of JBL. Josh Briggs just wants to be on that level where he knows he should be. Ilya Kaiser just sweeps away at Briggs and tells him, trust me, you don't want none of this. And Briggs, he would say, yeah, I really do. And that's when Trick would come in between both Ilya and Josh and tell Josh, hey, man, listen, I understand what you're trying to do. I understand you want to meet the bar, but here's the deal. I need to make sure Ilya is all the way good for our match at Vengeance Day, so you're going to have to wait and test yourself at another time. Then that's when Josh would tell Trick that, listen, I'm not even talking to you because I'm talking to the guy who's going to retain the NXT champion, who's going to be the NXT champion after Vengeance Day, so you can step out of this. Trick would take a fist to it, and he tells Josh, instead of you facing Ilya tonight, how about you face me? Josh would say, all right, cool. So you get that match made for later in the night, Ilya will tell Trick, I hope you know what you're doing because I know I'm going to make it to Vengeance Day. But are you? And then he would just walk away. So again, we got that match made up for later in the night. And then after this, you would see uh, Ava Rain. She would leave Shawn Michaels' office and right behind her will be William Regal. William Regal is, well, he has made his return to NXT, at least on television. He's been with WWE for a year now. Um, he would congratulate Ava Rain for being the youngest general manager in WWE. So now she's the general manager of NXT, and he tells her, hey, you need to look after NXT because I've been uh, here. I've seen it at its earliest point to where it is now, and if you need any advice, I'm always a call. So Ava Rain is the active general manager of NXT, and this further proves that the Samoans are running the wrestling business. Even if it's in storyline fashion, they are running the wrestling business. I forgot to mention this to you when I talked about Monday Night Raw. Raw is going to be moving over to uh, Netflix in 2025. So that's next year, and they'll be staying there for 10 years. Now that happened, and The Rock, he's a part of TKO, the group that owns both WWE and UFC. He's going to be on the board, and he now has the full rights to the Rock name. So now the Rock name is owned by Dwayne Johnson. So this further proves that Ava Rain is a part of the Samoan family. She's the Rock's daughter. And that, as I said, the Samoans, they haven't just to run the wrestling business, especially with Rock being on TKO board, Ava Rain being the NXT general manager, and Roman, he just been dominating WWE since he became back as a tribal chief 
for almost four years now. So again, this right here, this segment, it is further elaborating my point that yeah, the Samoans, they run the wrestling industry. Now, next matchup, we will have Lash Legend with Metaphor in her corner going against Ren Sinclair. Lash Legend would win the match by hitting the slam dunk, which is a uh, choke slam that get transitioned into a power bomb for the win. So Lash, she wins here. After this, you see Metaphor get in the ring. They surround Ren, but Fallon would come out to make the save. Oral Mensa, Noam Dar will leave the ring because no guys are going to touch the females. Uh, Jakari uh, Jackson, she would get hit with a clothesline by Fallon as she makes her way to the ring. And once Fallon gets in the ring, now you get a two-on-one assault. Both Ren and Fallon are beating up on Lash and then clothesline her out of the ring. So Ren has a buddy in Fallon because Ren is a new girl in NXT and Fallon just wants to make sure that Ren's all right. So that's something to look forward to. Uh, in the upcoming weeks, now, after this, you will see Electra Lopez coming into the NXT building. She's trying to find out where Lola Vice is. Lola Vice is going to have a segment with Noam Dar on the Supernova sessions later in the night. So you get some vignettes, not vignettes, but you get some backstage um, segments of Electra Lopez, just Electra Lopez, God, constantly just trying to find where Lola Vice is until we get to the Supernova sessions. Now, after this, we were supposed to have Donovan Dijak or just Dijak going against Joe Gacy. Um, that doesn't happen. They don't make it inside the ring. They fight outside the ring. You see them fight, like, next to the commentary table. Uh, Dijak, he would hit Joe Gacy with a spinning big boot to the face, which would have Gacy bust through the NXT wooden barrier that's constantly getting busted through by people. And you see Joe Gacy, he just kind of like crawls and then he gets up behind Dijak, who doesn't know what's happening yet. Joe Gacy would just have a smile on his face because Joe Gacy's not all the way there since he lost his schism. And you see uh, those two continue to go back with one another. Dijak and Gacy do continue to fight one another. Uh, Dijak, he would slam Gacy through the announce table. And you will still see them uh, fight with one another. And this thing would not stop. They have referee security pull both of these guys apart. I expect them to to probably have a match at uh, Vengeance Day. It was not announced, but that's something to more than likely look forward to because next week's episode of NXT will be the last episode until Vengeance Day. So, again, look forward to that uh, next week. Now, next up, you would have... Uh, Alexis Kane going against Trey Bearhill. Alexis would win the match by pinfall by hitting the coronation on Bearhill. The coronation is a double arm trapped swinging neck breaker to win the match. So Alexis King beats Trey, and I believe he wins their rivalry here. Now, after this, we would go backstage. You see Carmelo Hayes confront Trick Williams, and he's saying that Ilya is taking advantage of Trick. He's manipulating him. Trick doesn't see it. Uh, Carmelo would say, Ilya knows you are pulling double duty at Avengers Day. He knows you're going to be in the finals of the Dusty Tag Team Classic. And now he has you basically fighting for him. And you just see Carmelo not really liking it because he wants Trick to get his head in the game, focus on something that's important instead of this mindless crap. But Trick would tell him, hey, man, listen, everything's going to be fine. You got your business that you're handling with 
uh, Austin Theory on SmackDown. I got my business here. Relax. And once we're done with our business, we'll go and handle our business at Dusty Tatting Classic. We'll handle that and we'll become champions. Relax. So you get this thing between Trick and Mello, and Mello is just not feeling it, but he knows that Trick got to do his own thing, so he just walks away from that. Now, we move over to the Supernova Sessions. It's, uh, Noam Dar, Oro Mensa in the middle of the ring. They say that Lash Legend and Jakari Jackson aren't going to be with them because of what happened to them earlier from Rin and Fallon. But they get to the point. They call out Lola Vice, who's out here. Lola would put over how she's good, how she's the moment, how she is the women breakout uh, tournament winner. And how she basically eliminated Alexa Lopez last week in the Women's Battle World because Alexa Lopez was a hanger on her. She knew that Lola Vice was the newest uh, thing in NXT, how Lola Vice was getting all the attention, how Lola Vice is the future. And Alexa Lopez was smart to hang around her to try to make herself relevant. But their relationship always had an expiration date. So... That's why she did what she did to Electra last week in the uh, Battle Royal. Now, this is when Electra Lopez, she would come down to the ring. She would have a microphone in hand, and she would just run down Lola Vice, saying that she doesn't know who Lola Vice is or who Lola Vice thinks she is because she is out here. She pretends to be sweet, innocent, and talk about how she got here to NXT, how she got to WWE, how nobody worked harder than her, and Alexa Lopez would say that's a lie. You got here because you shaked your butt on the internet. You shaked your butt on Instagram. You're a wannabe MMA fighter, but no, you haven't worked as hard as me. You haven't worked as hard as some of the women in the back, and at this point, Lola Vice, she's just taking it all in as Alexa's just going off, and Alexa will just continue to talk and say that once they go face-to-face next week, she'll notice that Electra is the realest thing. Now, after Electra will say all this, we know what comes in next. Electra will get in the ring. Electra will go after Lola Vice. Those two would fight in the ring, roll out of the ring. Security would come to break those two apart. And that's how this segment will end, which sets up Electra Lopez going against Lola Vice next week. I think it's going to be a good match between both of them because they were uh, buddies for a good couple of months. And we all knew it wasn't going to last that long. Because somebody has to be the person with the attention on them. And, uh, well, Lola Vice is the moment. She is the person. She has all the buzz. So we all knew Lola Vice was going to be the one. But I don't think anybody had Lola Vice turning on Electra Lopez until, what, a couple weeks ago when LWO came down to NXT. You saw Electra Lopez being friendly with them and Lola Vice not being so friendly, be making like the stank face. That's whenever I made the inclination, like, okay, Lola Vice is going to be the one to turn on Electra. And it happened, and I can't wait to see what happens uh, next week between both of these two ladies. Now, after this, we go to our next match. We have Dragon Lee going against Scripps, who have OTM in his corner. Dragon Lee will win the match by pinfall, thanks in part to the family, Tony D'Angelo, Stax, and... Adriana Rizzo attacking OTM and Jada Parker, who was out there for scripts. The reason why the family attacked OTM and Jada Parker was because they, OTM, went to Tony D'Angelo's family restaurant, beat up on the workers there, and 
OTM, they want another shot at the NXT Tag Team titles. They want to make sure that the family know that they're on borrowed time and that they don't run NXT, uh, OTM does. So, Tony, Stax, Adriana, they would get the message. They book it to NXT. They come around towards end of the Scripps and Dragon Lee's matchup here. You see them attack OTM, attack Jada Parker. Scripps, he gets to his feet. He's looking at all that madness happening, and this will allow Dragon Lee to hit Operation Dragon, or better known as Destino, onto Scripps to win the match. Now, Scripps, he pulled out a couple moves here that I didn't expect him to do, even though I had to look into him, and he is a uh, performer for, former performer of Circus, uh, Circus Ole, or Circus Dole, whatever the world it is. And they do make mention of that like a couple years ago, and I think I probably made mention to it, but I forgot until I saw him move around in the ring, doing the flip, front flip, back flips, and even hitting, uh, I would say, a what, a spinning or front flip senton outside of the ring onto Dragon Lee, and then after that, land on his feet, and he did it so effortlessly. Uh, Scripps, if he, I'm not going to say if, if they just keep him as a high flyer type, I think he will go far. I think that whenever they need to use him to bust out some flippy style move on someone, I think that's the way to go with Scripps, making him a wrestler wrestler. I don't think that's all the way there, but again, I could be incredibly wrong. And uh, again, Dragon Lee winning this, it was all a part of the plan because Obafemi, he was on the NXT perch. He was watching the match. After the match is done, Obafemi would tell Dragon Lee that, as a matter of fact, he changes his mind. He's going to accept Dragon Lee's challenge to a match at Vengeance Day for the NXT North American Championship. So we have that match made official for NXT Vengeance Day. Now, after this, we go to our next matchup. Blair Davenport going against Carmen Petrovich. Uh, Blair Davenport, she will win the match by pinfall by hitting a Falcon Arrow, then a Komogoye, or better known as a pulling knee strike to the face for the win. No more needs to be said here. I think this was a match just basically to fill in time. Next up, we had Josh Briggs going against Trick Williams. Uh, Trick would win the match by pinfall. Also, Ilya Dragunov, he was out there. Ilya was trying to give Trick some motivation, trying to tell him to get up, fight, whenever Josh is beating up on Trick. And at one point, Trick Williams is outside of the ring, on the ground. He's trying to get to his feet. Ilya's going over to him, telling him, hey, man, you got to get to your feet. You got to show Josh why you're the number one contender for the NXT Championship, all this type of stuff. And Josh Briggs, he would accidentally big boot Ilya in the face, sending Ilya over the commentary table. Now, as Trick and um, Josh are fighting in the ring, Ilya would get to his feet. He's getting all red in the face. You see some of the refs trying to calm him down because he knows they're about to uh, happen. Ilya would try to get in the ring. He would get on the apron. His head's in the middle of the ropes. As Trick's on the top rope, Carmelo Hayes, he would run down to pull Ilya off the apron and throw him onto the ground. Trick, he would jump off. Uh, Josh, he would catch Trick, and he looks like he's about to hit him with a choke slam. Trick would reverse it, hit him with a victory roll to win the match. And after the match, immediately, as soon as Trick got off of uh, Josh, Josh will hit Trick with a clothesline from hell, then leave the ring. Now, after this, you see Trick get to his feet, holding his jaw. He's looking at Carmelo. Carmelo's trying to tell him that 
Ilya was going to get in here to mess with Trick. And on the outside of the ring, you have Ilya get to his feet. Referees are getting at Ilya. Ilya is yelling, like, towards the ring, I'm done with this, I'm done with you, and he just starts pointing. And I'm thinking that he's pointing at Trick at this moment. So Trick, he's trying to see what Melo is doing. Why did he attack Ilya, Melo keeps on trying to tell Trick he was going to attack you. You would see Trick push Melo aside. We would go to commercial break, come back. We see both of them backstage. And again, Trick is still trying to ask Melo what's wrong with him. Melo would tell him, listen, Ilya is playing you, dude. He was going to attack you out there. Trick says, no, he wasn't. Melo says, yes, he was. You don't see it. And then Melo has to break it down for him and say, listen, he's doing the exact same thing that he did to Baron Corbin that he's going to do to you right now. He's messing with your head. Don't you get it? So we get this moment that Trick, he's at this moment, he's thinking as Melo walking away because Melo tells Trick, get your head in the game. And we might see something next week with Trick probably attacking Ilya after the fact or probably denouncing Ilya as his buddy. Something along those lines because I think Trick is going to be beholden to the friendship that he has with Carmelo Hayes and actually listen to Carmelo's words instead of not going with his boy. So again, we'll wait and see what happens next week on NXT. I think that's where it's headed up, but we'll see. Now, after this, we get the contract signing between Roxanne Perez and NXT Women's Champion Lara Valkyria for their matchup at Vengeance Day. Roxanne Perez would tell Lyra that this thing between those two, it seems that it's almost been a, a collision course, like it was predestined to happen. And Lyra would mention that whenever Roxanne did win the NXT Women's Championship, it was Lyra's first day in NXT. So you have this moment of stating how the collision course was supposed to go down between the two and how it's been set up and this matchup could happen at a main event of a stand and deliver. So we get these two saying that, and they don't do all the pleasantries that they usually do for contract signing. Roxanne just gets directly to the point. Roxanne would say, listen, I know what it's like to be the champion. I know what you're feeling right now, but when I win the championship from you, you're going to have to feel the same way I've been feeling for this past year. And Roxanne would go into how she's been down in the dumps, how she's been trying to get herself back together, how she's been trying to just collect herself emotionally because she never lost the NXT Women's Championship. And now that she finally got back to this point to regain something that she never lost, she plans on winning it. Lyra would bounce back and say, listen, I am mentally and physically stronger than you. I'm not going to have those type of problems that you had. And Lyra would mention how she doesn't plan on losing the championship. So we get both of the ladies signing. You get this stare down between both of them. And as Lyra's leaving the ring, out from underneath the ring will be Tatum Paxley. Tatum, she would get at Roxanne and spine buster her through the table. Lyra would get in the ring and Lyra would try to look at Roxanne to see what's going on. Ask her, is she okay? Tatum will go over to Lyra and say, I took care of it. I took care of it. And Lyra would just shove Tatum because they had talked about it earlier in the night. And Lyra would tell Tatum earlier that she doesn't need her. She doesn't need her around and that 
her mind is focused on Roxanne. She doesn't have time to be messing around with Tatum. So Tatum thought taking care of Roxanne would do it. But no, you just got your fellow or not fellow, your idol that you're worshiping at this moment, because that's what this thing is seen between Tatum and uh, Lyra. You just made her upset. Now she doesn't want to be around you. Again, we're doing another Trish and Mickey James step, except for the sexuality part, the way that Trish and Mickey did it. We're doing the PG version here. Um, we're doing that here. I see what we're doing. It's cool. I hope that we get a big payoff between the two. If we get Tato versus Lyra somewhere down the line, but first we got to make it past Vengeance Day. So we'll probably get an update on Roxanne next week, how bad the damage is and see how she's going to be injured going into Vengeance Day. But with that, that was your NXT Wrestling Highlights of the Week. And oh yeah, the magic setup for next week are, um... Von Wagner going against Noam Dar for the NXT Heritage Cup. Alexa Lopez going against Lola Vice. And the second semifinal matchup for the Dusty Tatting Classic will be the LWO going against Carmelo Hayes and Trick Williams. And again, that match right there should be uh, the telling point. I think Carmelo and Trick are going to win. We get Trick and Melo going against Braun and Baron at Vengeance Day. And Trick will have to pull double duty. I think that's the story of it. Is he going to win Avengers Day, both of those shows? We'll just have to wait and see. Now, that will be NXT's Wrestling Highlights of the Week. And now we move over to AEW Dynamite. Dynamite would open up with the AEW World Champion, Samoa Joe, coming down to the ring, all dressed up in a suit. Samoa Joe would let the people know that we are in a new era. And he's talking about the AEW rankings are back in play. For people that don't remember what the AEW rankings are, it's letting people know who's the champion and who's the contenders, basically one to five. And you got to basically win. If you don't win, you don't make the rankings. And that's how it will determine who's going to be challenging for the championships. So the rankings will be back in play for, I believe, all the championships uh, from here going forward. And that's something that AEW kind of moved away from. I'm not going to say in 2023 because they were already done with it by then. I'll say by 2022, the ranking systems didn't really play a part in 2022 or 2023 at all. I think the last time it probably played a part was early 2021, if anything. I think that's the last time I really played a ranking part. The last time I could really effectively say someone actually earned a championship matchup because the AEW rankings was because of... Uh, Jungle Boy going against Kenny Omega. And this was still during the COVID era, but like I said, early 2021. Other than that, after that, I don't remember the rankings playing too much of a big part. So um, the rankings are back in play. And if you're number one, you get a championship opportunity. Number two, you might get one. Number three and four or five, you still got to work your way into it. So Samojo will let people know that. And he says that there will be no more just handing out free championship opportunities. Those days are done for you to get a shot at this. You have to get yourself into those ranking spots. Now, once Samojo would get done with that, he would uh, go in to talk about whoever is going to be number one in the power rankings. They're going to receive a beating just like Hook did last week. Now, mentioning the name Hook, Hook will come out to the ring. Hook will stand face-to-face with Joe. He will get a mic and tell Joe that last week, Joe won, he lost, and he would just extend his hand out to Joe. Joe being respectful, he shakes Hook's hands. Hook would pull Joe in, and he will let Joe know that he doesn't know when or where, but he will be seeing him again. Joe will say, okay, that's cool, but for now, 
you go to the back of the line and you see Samojo call for security as he says, take this trash out of my ring. Now, security will get in the ring and you see Hook just start throwing the security around left and right. And once he's put one in the red room and he's staring at Joe as he does it, he will leave the ring. Now, once Hook starts walking up the ramp, Samoa Joe will be on commentary for the first matchup of the night, which will be Hangman Page going against Penta El Zero Miero. Uh, Hangman, he would win the match by pinfall by hitting a buckshot lariat onto Penta for the win. This was a good back-and-forth match between Penta and Hangman. Again, I feel that AEW is putting a lot of faith back into Hangman Page now since his uh, feud would swerve and since he's got that newfound aggression in him aggression uh in him that he's been missing for some time and Samoa Joe being on commentary he kind of sold it Samoa Joe whenever Pinto was beating up on Hangman he would get so cheery and happy about it because Samoa Joe doesn't want to face Hangman you kind of see it because there was a moment in the matchup where Hangman was beating up on uh Pinto and he would hit Pinto with some uh physical striking maneuver you will see or hear Samoa Joe kind of make a noise, and Tony Schiavone would even get at Joe, say, you worried, champ? Samoa Joe had to play it off, said, no, I'm not worried. I just don't want to face someone that's not worthy of my time. And he will say that Heyman's not worthy of his time, and Penta is. So that tells you right there, Samoa Joe doesn't want to face Heyman Page. But Heyman, he would beat Penta here, so that is going to stack one more win into Heyman's winning slot right now. I believe he's uh, 3-0 and or 4-0 in AEW so far right now in the 2024. So that once the power rankings will be put in play, and they'll be coming to play back, well, towards the end of this year, we're going to see where everybody stacks up. And this is going to play a part later in the night, by the way. Now, after this, we'll go to a backstage interview that Renee Paquette has with the international champion Orange Cassidy. Orange Cassidy, in short, will let everyone know that he will be facing Roger Strong at Revolution for the international championship, but he lets everyone know that's in six weeks. And he's not going to stop wrestling, and he asks Tony Khan to make a match, a Fatal 4-Way matchup, where the winner of that Fatal 4-Way matchup will be facing Orange Cassidy for the International Championship on Collision. Now, the Fatal 4-Way matchup will happen on Rampage, so you have to wait and see who's going to be those four members or four competitors on Rampage. Now, after this, we'll go to the Young Bucks just walking backstage. They're still using their EVP names of Matthew Jackson and Nicholas Jackson, still acting like complete and utter jack rabbits, and you see Top Flight just walking past them, and you see the Young Bucks kind of getting at them for not dressing appropriately, dressing poorly, not carrying uh, credentials, and even saying that they came in late. Uh, Top Flight would tell them, no, we've been here since one, and you see the Young Bucks kind of like joke with them, say, no, nah, we're just joking with you, we're joking with you, we love you, we love you guys, and walk away. Again, the character of the EVPs for... Uh, Nick and Matt, the Young Bucks, I still got to wait and see how this thing goes because, again, I want to see where they're going to go with this. I think them using this thing after Punk is gone, I'm still going to wait out to see how this goes. I just still think they should have did this a year ago. But, again, we'll wait and see how this thing uh, unfolds. Now, after this, we get to the next matchup, Trent Beretta with the best friends in his corner, which is Orange Cassidy, uh, Chuck Taylor, and Rocky Romero going against Warlow, who will have his Undisputed Kingdom uh, teammates in his corner. Warlow, he would win the match by pinfall by hitting a high elevated power bomb on Trent to win the match. Um, Warlow and Trent, they had a good back and forth exchange here. 
Trent even used a steel chair when the referee wasn't looking because the referee was paying too much attention to the Undisputed Kingdom, who was outside the ring, and they looked like they were going to try to mess with Trent. That's when the referee kind of uh, stepped aside to start making sure the Undisputed Kingdom didn't uh, mess with Trent. Trent took the advantage to beat up with Warlow with a steel chair, hit him in the back with it, and you would think, okay, Trent's going to beat Warlow because you see him using the chair. Nope. Warlow beats Trent. So we get this. You see the Undisputed Kingdom uh, leave. Orange Cassidy, Chuck Taylor, Rocky Romero, they come in to check up on Trent. Trent pushes Orange Cassidy away from him. And you kind of tell that Trent's starting to get tired of losing, coming so close to the glory and losing, and how he is a side character to Orange Cassidy. A guy who, when you look at the beginning of AEW, wasn't originally signed. Orange Cassidy got signed because of Chuck Taylor and Trent Beretta. And originally it was supposed to be Trent Beretta, Trent Beretta and Chuck being the main focal point in Chuck and like Orange Cassidy supposed to be like their side guy, like their guy, just to be there. But now it's the other way around. Orange Cassidy is the main guy while the best friends are his side guys. So again, I like to see where this is going to go off into the future. Just seeing Trent push Orange Cassidy away from him. Again, I feel that we're going to revisit that exact thing that I just said, how the best friends were supposed to be the main guys while Orange Cassidy just supposed to be their friend. While now, years later, you see where they all end up. Now, after this, we will get to a sit-down between uh, Deanna Perrazzo and Tony Storm on the stage, and I got to give AEW credit. AEW, I like what they've been doing with Tony Storm. Uh, they did the whole split screen, literally, in front of everyone. You see one side of the screen, black and white. The other side, color, with Tony Storm being the uh, 1930s character that she is. She's on the black and white side. Deanna Perrazzo, color side. That should be with everything known and given. Um, the gist of it is that, um, Deanna Brazo, she's been trying to figure out what's up with Tony Storm. She's trying to figure out what's going on with her. This new persona of Tony Storm isn't the same Tony Storm that she knows. She isn't the same Tony Storm that she's, like, made friends with. How they trained together and all this type of stuff. Even getting tattoos together. Matching tattoos. This isn't the same Tony. Tony would kind of rebut all that and say, yes, I remember you. Yes, you were a part of my past, but that past friendship, you don't get to use past friendships to get a title shot at me. And you know the back and forth that they do. Uh, Tony would get to a point that she's tired of it. She would take off her shoe, throw it at uh, Deanna. Deanna would take her shoe off, throw it at Tony. And now you get Deanna Praza put Tony Storm into Venus de Milo, which is the double arm uh, double arm lock, Fuchuara arm bar on the ground. And you see Mariah May come over to try to get Deanna off of Tony. Deanna would get off Tony, and you see her about to kick Mariah May in the face, but Deanna would kick Luther in the face, and Luther would go down, and this led to Tony Storm and Mariah May to leave the ring, well, leave the stage. And Deanna Praza holds up the AEW Women's Championship in the air. So this gives you a look at what we could see later down the line because Deanna is gunning for the Women's Championship, something that her former friend is holding. So that's something down the line, and I'm pretty sure we're going to get a match between those two at Revolution. Now, after this, we get a match between Jeff Hardy and Swerve Strickland. Swerve, he will win the match by pinfall, by hitting the Swerve Stomp. 
good match between uh, Jeff and Swerve. I think everybody knew going into this, Swerve was going to win because the way that Swerve was being uh, presented, his trajectory in the company for these past months. But Jeff Hardy, he was able to still go out there with Swerve. He was able to hit all his stuff, the mo uh, poetry emotions by using the steel steps on Swerve outside the ring, hit a twist of fate on the steel steps, um, do his whole Jeff Hardy repertoire, but Swerve, he still comes out on top, and that's good. Now, we go to backstage where Renee's uh, with Heyman Page, and she's talking about how 2024 is looking up for uh, Heyman and how the rankings are coming back, and before Heyman can even say anything, you see Swerve walk in, and you just see Swerve and Heyman talk crap towards one another, and Renee would tell them that they need to quit and that she just got information that next week both Hangman and Swerve will pick each other's opponent. So a pick your poison or a dealer's choice, I believe. That's what they call it. But either way, uh, Swerve, Hangman will be picking each other's opponents next week on AEW. And that's going to be real interesting to see who Swerve picks for Hangman, Hangman picks for Swerve, because Hangman can't pick Kenny. Kenny's like injured right now. He can't pick none of the Bucks. He can't pick Kota Ibushi. I would like to see who Hangman's probably going to pick for Swerve. That's going to be real interesting. He could probably pick someone like a Brian Danielson if he wanted to go that route, or someone like a Claudio, or someone that we haven't seen in a minute that's escaping me. I don't know who, but that's one way we can go about it. Or pick a returning or just a one-off character superstar that we haven't seen in some time. Now for Swerve, AEW, in my opinion, is like a, a bad guy roster. You got a roster full of bad guys that just be chomping at the bit to get their stuff on television. So I think Swerve has the run of the litter. Not the run of the litter, the pick of the litter. Excuse me. So he could pick anybody on the roster just to go after Heyman Page. It's really going to be interesting to see who each guy picks. So I can't wait to see what happens there with those two next week. Next matchup, we have Red Velvet going against Thunder Rosa. Thunder Rosa would beat Red Velvet by pinfall by hitting the Tejano Bomb. Or Tijuana Bomb, excuse me, not Tijuana, because Tijuana is uh, Raquel Rodriguez. But the Tijuana Bomb, which is a package, package pile driver, but not using a pile driver, just turn to the side and hit a uh, sideways uh, bomb that way. Um, Thunder Rosa, Red Velvet, they had a good solid match between the two. Um, Thunder Rosa, she's still trying to get into the, not going to say thick of things, but still trying to get her way around the ring like that because you got saw some of the moves kind of not be executed the way it was supposed to. Some of the timing wasn't all there between both of the ladies, but the match was still fine between the two. Again, these professionals, they're going to miss beats from time to time, but the match overall in general, it was good between uh, Thunder Rosa and Red Velvet. After this, we get Tony Schiavone calling down both Darby Allen and Sting to the ring. And the point of this is that Darby and Sting... Uh, want tag team gold before Sting retires uh, at Revolution. Darby and Sting want to have tag team gold around their waist, and they basically call their shot. They're calling out Ricky Starks and Big Bill for the AEW Tag Team Championships, and we would hear from Ricky and Big Bill after this. They agree to it. So in two weeks on Dynamite, we get the tag team matchup for the tag team titles between Darby and Sting and Big Bill and Ricky Starks. Now. After this, we get a trios matchup, an AEW World Trios Championship matchup. The Mogul Embassy, Bishop Khan, Brian Cage, and Toa Leona with Prince Nana in their corner going against the Acclaim, Anthony Bowens, 
Billy Gunn and Max Caster. Now, the interesting thing about this is that last week, the Mogul Embassy just lost their Ring of Honor six-man championships to Bullet Club Gold, or better known as the Bang Bang Gang. And on Collision this past week, the Bang Bang Gang have now joined into a supergroup with the Acclaim, and they're now known as the Bang Bang Scissor Gang. So, in this matchup, you see uh, Bullet Club Gold make the save for the Acclaim the same way that the Acclaim, or better known as Anthony Bowens, did for the Bang Bang Gang last week. When Princess Nana was going to interfere last week, Anthony Bowens came out to make sure Nana didn't do that. This week, uh, Bishop Khan, he was going to use a steel chair. You see Jay White running down to the ring to grab the chair away from Khan. And you see Nana, he was going to get on the apron and start doing something. But you see the guns, they run down, grab Prince Nana, and they powerbomb him through the Timeskeeper table. This allowed uh, the Acclaim to hit Khan with all their finishers. You see Bishop Khan get hit with the Arrival, then the mic drop, and then the Famouser. You see Billy Gunn pin Khan to win the match and have them retain their trios championships. So the Bang Bang Gang, or Bang Bang Scissor Gang, uh, they all still hold their six-man style of gold. And it's really going to be interesting to see where this goes to. People are saying there's going to be a unification matchup between the Acclaim and uh, the Bang Bang Gang. I don't know how that's going to work. It could happen. It could be interesting. I could be missing something completely. But I like this new supergroup, to be honest. Jay White, he's kind of a snake, so you got to... Uh, watch out for that, but I think Jay White is going to use the claim for as much as he can until he basically discards them. I hope that we get this super group for a good couple of months because they're all coming together for one reason. It's all because of Undisputed Kingdom. Undisputed Kingdom is like the big, uh, big bad group here in AEW, and for you guys to basically shoot this group down before we get anything really running. The way that fans are thinking, it will be a wasted idea. Do not do it. Keep this super group together for as long as you possibly can. And then when it's time, because trust me, the fans will tell you when it's time to kill it, you kill it. But until then, keep this big super group that you got, the Bang Bang uh, Scissor Gang, together. Now, after this, we go to our main event. Adam Copeland going against Minoru Suzuki. Adam Copeland, he would win the match by pinfall by hitting the kill switch on Minoru Suzuki to win the match. And the thing about this match is Minoru Suzuki and Adam Copeland, it was nothing but a striking contest. Now, Minoru Suzuki being who he is and being how old he is, he can't uh, take the suplexes and all that bits the way that an Okada or some of the other Japanese wrestlers can. Minoru Suzuki, he's older. He's uh, known for doing the strikes. Adam Copeland, he's older, but he can do the body slams and all that type of stuff. I thought that Copeland would have slammed Minoru Suzuki a little bit, but no. Copeland uh, went over into Suzuki's playpen and started doing the strikes with Suzuki. It was okay. It was fine, but I'm not going to suggest it like that. It was cool for what it was. It was a cool, nice little dream match that we got between uh, Copeland and Suzuki, but I would rather see Adam Copeland have a match match instead of a striking match with someone. That's just my personal preference. But um, yeah, Adam Copeland, he beats Suzuki with a kill switch. After that, he gets a microphone. He tells Suzuki that he respects him and he wants Suzuki to shake his hand. Suzuki, he wouldn't shake Adam Copeland's hand and roll out of the ring. Copeland says, that's kind of what I expected. 
if he would have shook my hands, I probably would have not liked that and also not expected it. But then Copeland would get back to uh, talking about Christian. It says that he's here to do what Christian said he was going to do all these years ago and compete and show that he is still here and now he's still going after Christian Cage. So this probably adds another win column into Adam Copeland's uh, winning record as he's trying to get at Christian Cage for the TNT Championship. Now, with that, that was your AEW Dynamite Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Now, with AEW Dynamite out of the way, we might move over to TNA Wrestling. Uh, TNA Impact, it would open up with a one-on-one contest between one half of the TNA World Tag Team Champions, Chris Bay, with his tag partner Ace Austin in his corner, going against Kevin Knight. Chris Bay will win the match by pinfall by hitting Arta Finesse, which is a springboard cutter for the win. Um, this is your standard X-Division matchup. Not too much high-flying. Not too much, but you saw a lot of quick speed, a lot of strikes in this uh, matchup here. Kevin Knight, he seems that he's gotten taller in this uh, since the last time I've seen him in uh, TNA. And he also got more jacked. Um, I'm glad to see that from Kevin Knight because last time I saw him, at least the most memorable match that he had in uh, TNA Impact was when he went against Moose last year. And at that time, I said, man, those two had a great uh Great match, and I wanted to see more from Kevin Knight. I hope that he gets to show out more this year in 2024. And if not win the X Division Championship in TNA, I hope he wins the IWGP Junior uh, Heavyweight Championship over in New Japan. But we'll wait and see for that. But again, a great showing from Kevin Knight and Chris Bay. Now, after the match, the Grizzly Young Veterans, or GYV, would attack Ace Austin and Chris Bay after the matchup. They will leave both men laying and holding up the TNA World Tag Team Championships in the air. Later in the night, you see uh, GYV talking backstage. Santino Morello will walk up to them, and since Santino is basically like, the guy that makes the matches, he would be upset with them because there's this is their first time like being here since Hard to Kill, and they're trying to just go through any advantage they can to try to get a tag team opportunity. And you see Ace Austin, you see Chris Bay running up to them, wanting to get their hands on GYV, but security would stand in between both teams, so Chris Bay and Ace Austin couldn't get to the Grizzly Young Veterans. Santino would see this, he would tell both teams, we're going to do something. We're going to do best of two out of three series, which means uh, whatever team wins two matches, they will become the new TNA World Tag Team Champions, and the first match will happen next week. So we'll have Chris Bay and Ace Austin going against Grizzly Young Veterans next week. Um, I'm happy to see this. You know what? This reminds me of Beer Money going against the Motor City Machine Guns, I believe, what, in the early 2010s in TNA? And that was the time when the Motor City Machine Guns were on the rise as a top tag team in TNA. Beer Money was kind of like the standard bear tag team there. And every match that Beer Money and Motor City Machine Guns had... It was off the charts. That was like one of the most memorable rivalries in TNA history with tag teams, especially. And I feel that we can have this exact same feeling here with Grizzly Young Veterans and Ace Austin and Chris Bay. Because Ace Austin and Chris Bay, they're kind of the standard barrier for the tag team division in TNA. Grizzly Young Veterans, we know what they can do around the world. They were in WWE. They were in NXT. They had that stamp and they had that uh, stamp for being a great tag team but they have not won the big championship yet. So for them to come over to TNA, for them to hopefully have this opportunity against Azos and Chris Bay, 
have two tag teams just face off against one another. I think that this is going to be a great opportunity for both teams to show what they can do to the rest of the world and probably even put this rivalry up there with the beer money and Motor City Machine Guns. But we'll have to wait and see in this series. Now, after this, we will get a new vignette from Ash by Elegance, the formerly known as Dana Brooke. Um, again, showing off how she's more looking like a model in this type of thing, like a, uh, what, Gucci model, Dolce & Gabbana style model. Not a problem here. Again, we'll see what she can do in the ring when it's time for her to do that uh, in the coming weeks of TNA, but I'm glad that they are giving her some type of screen time here, even if it's a vignette. Now, after this, we'll go to a backstage segment. You see Frankie Kazarian tell the people that he's going to explain why he tagged Eric Young last week when he's interrupted by Rich Swan. Uh, Swan would tell Kazarian, why did you ask him? Why did you beat up uh, Eric Young? You guys are both OGs in TNA. It just doesn't make sense. Kazarian would tell Rich, listen, I've been trying to play by everybody's rules and look where it's gotten me. I'm going to start taking things into my own hands and seeing by your own career, you need to take my advice and he would just walk away. Then you will see AJ Francis, formerly Top Dollar, will walk up to Rich Swan, and he has a beef with Joe Henry and he knows that Rich Swan is going to be going against Joe Henry on TNA Explosion. And I believe it's going to be like their uh, internet show. And he tells Rich, why don't you allow me to be in your corner? For that matchup, Rich would say, nah, man, I'm good. AJ would tell him, do you remember when the first time we met one another a couple years ago? Where do we meet? Rich would tell him in the back of the plane. AJ say, yep, in the back of the plane. Years later, where are you now? Still in the back of the plane. Me, I'm in first class in the first row. And the best thing about first class, there's always a seat right beside me. So you kind of can see that AJ Francis wants to uplift Rich Swan to be with him, but also you can see he has nefarious plans because he still wants to get at Joe Henry for what he did to him at Hard to Kill. Rich Juan would tell AJ, nah, I'm good, bro, and just walk away. And you see AJ put sunglasses on, on his face and say, all right, we'll see about that. So I hope that we get an evil Rich Swan. All the dancing, loving, uh, party all night Rich Swan. it was good. It was good for what? How many years has Rich been in TNA? I'll say since, what, 2017, 2018? That's what, give or take uh, seven, six years. He's been in TNA. Never had a bad guy switch. Never did none of that. I think it's time for Rich to do that. He's already been an uh, X-Vision champion, a TNA champion, a digital media champion. He needs to turn over and be a villain, and let's see what he can do. Especially having a big man like AJ Francis by his side. You can have a new power dynamic of tag team between A.D. Francis and Rich Swan, or it's just a nice little uh, unit between the two. Again, I'm all into it. I hope that we get it down the line, but we'll wait and see. Now, after this, we get to our second match of the night. It'll be Dirty Dango and Oleg Prudius, formerly known as Vladimir Kozlov in WWE, going against two random guys, Dirty Dango and Oleg. What would win the match by pinfall when Oleg would do all the dirty work, as is expected of him. Dango would tag himself in. He would grab one of the guys, hit a uh, reverse sit-out DDT to win the match. No more, nonetheless. Now, next match up would be for the Knockouts World Championship. Jordan Grace, the champion, defending it against Trinity. Jordan Grace would win the match by pinfall when you would see both Trinity and Jordan just trading off 
pinning attempts back and forth. The referee constantly counting one, 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 one after one another. Trinity will get Jordan in a pinfall. Jordan will kick out, lock her into Starstruck. But as soon as she locks her into it, Jordan would like quickly shift all the weight of Trinity onto her own shoulders, put Trinity's uh, shoulders to the mat for the count of three, one in the match. This was a good matchup between Jordan Grace and Trinity. Uh, Jordan Grace, she is the powerhouse of the knockouts division. Trinity, she has been undefeated until hard to kill. Now, this would mark her second uh, loss in TNA Impact. And for her to lose to Jordan Grace for a second time, it's not bad for Trinity. Because as I said, Jordan Grace, she is the powerhouse of the knockouts division. And this match, just going back and forth, Jordan Grace threw everything at Trinity. She threw a um, superplex at Trinity. Trinity was kicked out. She threw a jackhammer uh, suplex. Form, if you know the move, is was performed by Goldberg. She did that to Trinity, and Trinity still was able to kick out. Um, she threw every move that she can to Trinity, but Trinity just continued to kick out. It's just that by the grace of Jordan Grace's own teeth, she was able to reverse out of a starstruck to get the win and retain her championship. It just showed how resilient not only Trinity is, but resilient Jordan is. So both of these ladies had a great match. And again, this still proves my point why I say the knockouts division has one of the greatest, or if not is one of the great uh, women's wrestling divisions in North America, at least in my professional or not even professional in my own uh, opinion. Now, after this, you will see Giselle Shaw, Savannah Evans attack both Grace and Trinity after the match. Uh, Jay Vidal would be there. Uh, Giselle would hit both Trinity and Jordan Grace with that wooden X that she got from the Ultimate X match. And she would hit the De Dumont, which is a knee strike in Trinity's face, to lay Trinity out. And you would see Giselle Shaw standing with her entourage above Trinity and Jordan. So you already know what time it is. Giselle's going to want a shot at that knockout championship because she's earned it from the Ultimate X match that she wanted hard to kill. So you know it's coming. When is it coming? We have no idea. It was not announced, but you know that match is going to happen somewhere down the line, probably soon rather than later. Uh, Next up after this, we had Nick Nimeth making his TNA Impact Wrestling uh, match debut going against Zachary Wentz. Commentary would let everyone know this is Nick Nimitz's first match outside of WWE. So this will make his first match actually in professional wrestling, like legit out of WWE. Like he had no independent matches before he signed to WWE. Like he came straight out of college into WWE. So this is his first time just in just wrestling outside of WWE bubble. Uh, Nick Nimitz, he would beat. Zachary Wentz by pinfall, by hitting the danger zone, or formerly known as the zigzag in WWE terms to win the match here. Good match between Zachary Wentz and Nick Nemeth. I think Zachary Wentz was a good opponent for Nick because Nick was still able to do his stuff, not having to change who he is. Zachary Wentz, he was still able to get some shine too because uh, I think people forget that Zachary Wentz is in TNA since he... uh, lost his job or was fired by WWE, what was that, 2022? So with him being in TNA and people probably forgetting, I think with him having the first match of Nick Nimitz's career, 
outside of WWE bubble, I think it puts some eyes back on him. So we'll have to wait and see what happens with Zachary wins down the line. But Nick Nimeth winning here, I don't think it was shock to anybody. Uh, after the match, you see Trey Miguel come in, attack Nick Nimeth, but Nick was able to hit Trey with the danger zone. Then you see Steve Macklin coming. Steve Macklin, who has a beef with Nick Nimeth, runs in, beats up on Nick. I uh, think he has the better of Nick until Nick hits him with the danger zone, and Nick Nimeth just stands above all three men. So this already tells you, again, Nick Nimeth coming in with the star power that he has from being a former WWE guy. He's going to given he's going to be shown this level of uh untouchableness which he's earned because again everybody in the wrestling world loves him um so it's going to be interesting to see how he fares with all the other people i'm not certain if this is going to be the honeymoon phase how many times he's going to show off this superman type of just standing on top of people after the results are getting beat down but we'll have to wait and see um but it was announced that next week he will be going against trey miguel so we got that after this, we get a matchup between Danny Luna and Jody Threat going against MK Ultra. MK Ultra is here because they lost their knockouts tag team titles to Rosemary and Havoc at Hard to Kill. So this is their first match back since that loss. Uh, MK Ultra would win the match by pinfall by hitting their tag finish, which is a um, double, I want to say like neutralizer or gotch pile driver onto. Um, Jody threat to win the match. MK Ultra, they did what they were supposed to do. They showed why they were one of the longest reigning, or was the longest reigning knockouts tag team champions in that company's history. Did they have a hiccup? Yes. Uh, they pointed that out on commentary, but them being resilient, them uh, having that time together as a team, they were able to make that up and win the match. And uh, still, they're marching on to try to get back their TNA Knockouts Tag Team Championships. Now, we will go over into the main event. is a six-man tag. It's the Systems, Brian Myers, Eddie Edwards, and the TNA World Champion, Moose, going against the Motor City Machine Guns, which consists of Alex Shelley and the X-Wizard Champion, Chris Saban, and their tag partner, the Rainmaker, Kozuchika Okada. Uh, Okada and the Motor City Machine Guns would win their match, by pinfall, when Okada would hit Brian Myers with uh, the Rainmaker, which is a ripcord lariat. Then Alex Shelley would hit Shell Shock on Brian Myers to win the match for their team. Great six man to end impact. Uh, great to see Okada in a TNA ring. Uh, for people that don't know, Okada a couple years ago, I'll say in the early 2010s. He came in on excursion from New Japan to TNA. He wasn't treated with the right style of gimmick. He was treated with a funny style of gimmick, being like the young boy for Samoa Joe, being beat down. It left a bad taste in Okada's mouth. So for some years, after the fact, Okada wouldn't say that he would never want to come back to TNA. Um, So to see him now in a TNA ring, it was great to see it. Um, Him teaming up with the Motor City Machine Guns, them getting the win, it was great. Seeing Moose going against Okada, was great to Moose. He stood toe-to-toe with the ace of New Japan um, and holding his own against Okada. That just further solidifies Moose's reign as the TNA champion, and hopefully it'll just guide him more down as he's uh, the champion of TNA and just basically submits his legacy. That's all I'm hoping for for Moose as well. But Okada 
helping uh, Motor City Machine Guns to get the win. Solid match to end TNA. But after they show the, I want to say that's their logo and their signal for going off air, you will see a vignette. And it's of Mustafa Ali. Ali states that TNA has gone through a change and they need to go through another change. But this one's immediate and introducing of an X Factor. And you see him walk up on the screen and say, I'm Mustafa Ali and I approve this message. So it seems that Mustafa Ali is going to be coming into TNA wrestling. I'm not certain as a contracted wrestler or a one time off or whatever. I'm glad for it because, again, AEW cannot have everybody. Uh, just like I said with Nick Nimeth last week, I think I'll say here with Ali, if he would have went to AEW, he would have got a good, like, good couple weeks or even a month being on the show, being featured. But after the fact, I think he'll be just another name on the card, being another name in the shuffle that probably get lost in the shuffle that everybody would just ask, what are you doing with this guy and that guy? Um, so Ali not making it to AEW yet. Do I think he's going to have a run there or at least pop his face up there? Yes. But him not popping there yet, I think this is a good move for him. Let him have a good little run here or at least have a good stance here in TNA before he does move over to AEW. I think that's great for him. But if he doesn't want to move over to AEW and you want to stay in TNA, that's great too. Same thing with Nick Nimeth, AJ Francis. I'm just happy to see all these guys. Same thing with Ash by Elegance. Happy to see all these individuals basically just move around the wrestling landscape, have their face, show their face, and just try to get the notoriety that they want. That's all I'm just stating with this. Now, with that being said, that's your Impact Wrestling, Wrestling Highlights of the Week. And now we move over to SmackDown. SmackDown will open up with Latin American musical star Eladio Corona, or Carino, I'm sorry for butchering the man's name. Um, his newest music video that's out right now called RKO, it's has Randy Orton in it, so you know what's about to happen next. He would do the introduction for Randy. Randy would come down to the ring, dap up Eladio, they'll get on separate turnbuckles, do posing for the crowd, and then that'll be it. Eladio will leave the ring, now's Randy coming out to talk about his business, he talks about how Roman Reigns and the bloodline have been dominant for the past almost four years. And all that is thanks to Roman holding on to the WWE Championship. And he's been holding on to that championship for almost 1,300 days. He mentions how Roman has been dominant and how nobody has been able to take the title off of him. Well, except for maybe him. He talks about how he's going to take the title off of him at the Royal Rumble. And then this will walk out. AJ Styles coming down to the ring. AJ would do the whole poor me business, how everybody seems to keep on forgetting about him. He mentioned how he wanted to face Solo Sokoa tonight, but they ended up giving that match to LA Knight, the same guy who has been walking past AJ's body to basically get to this point where he's at. So again, AJ's kind of like in that Drew McIntyre state here with being the guy who's stating his truth, his obvious points, but he wants to make sure that nobody forgets about it. So after that, we get um, L.A. Knight coming down to the ring. L.A., he would look at A.J. and look at Randy, and he talks about how both of them are not too much competition for him, how he finds it suspicious how he is the only person in this Fatal 4-Way matchup that has a championship, not championship, but has a matchup tonight. He talks about how he has to go against Solo Sokoa, but he says... I don't like AJ. I'm not going to whine and complain about it. I'm just going to do 
what I got to do, handle business, and then still afterward, I'm going to go in there, drop Roman, take the WWE Championship, and there's nothing none of you two can do about it. And then as he walks away from the ring, walking up the ramp, AJ Styles, he would attack Randy Orton because he did tell Randy earlier that he has a receipt coming his way because AJ was attacked by Randy last week for an RKO before SmackDown ended. So AJ paid his receipt by kicking Randy in the gut, then hit him with a Pele kick. So that's your beginning segment of SmackDown. Now, after this, we will move over into our first match of the night. Carlito with LWO in his corner, going against Santos Escobar, who had Angel Garza and Humberto Carrillo in his corner. Santos would win the match by pinfall, thanks to interference and distraction by Electra Lopez. Uh, LWO, they would uh, do battle with Angel and Humberto outside the ring. And you would see Selena Vega like get on the apron and she's about to talk to Santos. But you see a woman jump the barricade, get over to the ring, pull Selena down, and it's Electra Lopez. At first, I thought it was a little advice, but no, it was Electra. And then you see Carlito look at Electra and stare at her. This allows Santos to get uh, Carlito in a roll up and hold on to the tights to win the match. So Santos, he still gets a win over Carlito. He still gets a win over the LWO, and now he has his main girl back with him, Electra, a woman that was with him down in NXT when he was with his original group, Legado del Fantasma. So it's good to see Electra here. Only thing I have a question is, are they going to boo or cheer Electra whenever she goes back to NXT next week, whenever she has to go against Lola Vice? Because in that feud, it's supposed to be Lola supposed to be the bad guy or bad girl, while Electra's supposed to be the good representation in the ring. So again, it's going to be real interesting to see how that works out. But to see Electra Lopez with uh, Santos instead of LWO, I'm happy with that. And also, by the way, I still stand with Santos Escobar. I understand why he's upset with Carlito, because by God, when Carlito came out for this matchup here, you didn't see Carlito in LWO gear. You saw him in Carlito's shirt and garb. He didn't even come out in LWO uh, theme song. He came out to his own theme. So again, Santos point still, still like kind of is proven. Like Carlito isn't for LWO. He's for himself. So again, Santos isn't wrong for his hatred of Carlito and hatred for the LWO picking Carlito over him. Just want to make that perfectly clear. Now, after this, we will get backstage. You'll see Nick Aldis uh, welcoming Ava Rain to SmackDown. You see the Street Profits with Bobby Lashley in there. And they have the Royal Rumble uh, ball uh, circulator. I don't know what it's called, but it's basically somebody, the tumbler. There it is. Where somebody got to put their hand into the tumbler, grab their number out for the Royal Rumble. You'll get different segments of that throughout the night. Uh, as I said, Bobby Lashley, he will pull out a number. Santos Escobar, he will pull out a number. R-Truth, he will pull out a number later in the night. Bianca Belair will pull out a number later in the night. Bailey will do the same. And even Jimmy Uso. So you get different uh, vignettes and different segments of that all throughout the night. So that's what we know about the Royal Rumble for SmackDown. Now, after this we would get the WWE Women's Tag Team Championships being defended. We would have Kaden Carter and Katana Chance defending the titles against the Kabuki Warriors, Asuka, and Kyrie Sane. And we would have new WWE Women's Tag Team Champions, the Kabuki Warriors. They would win the titles with a Scorpion Death Drop and Insane Elbow-like combination 
onto Caden Carter to win the women's tag team championships. Not a bad run from Caden and uh, Katana. I think they probably could have lasted a little bit more, but I understand the reason why they gave it to Asuka and Kyrie Sane. They have to continue to push the story of how Damage Control is in power with EO being the women uh, champion for SmackDown. And now you have the Kabuki Warriors being the tag team champions for the WWE. Damage Control is just one more step away from controlling all of WWE, and they only need Bayley to win the Royal Rumble to go to the main event and challenge Rhea for the Women's World Championship. So again, I understand the reason why they gave the Kabuki Warriors the win over Kaden and Katana. So we'll have to wait and see what happens at the Royal Rumble with Bayley. Will this prophecy continue to go true, or will somebody do something dig dashly and cost Bayley her opportunity to win the Royal Rumble. Now, after this, we would get into Bobby Lashley and the Street Profits coming down to the ring. They call out uh, the Final Testament. And for people that have heard, not been watching SmackDown for a little bit. The Final Testament is Carrying Cross and Authors of Pain. So you get Carrying Cross, you get the Authors of Pain, you get Scarlet, you get Paul Ellering coming down to the stage. Carrying Cross will send uh, Scarlet into the ring, and you see the prophet, you see Bobby, they kind of look at one another, and they even tell Karrion that, okay, we get it, you were supposed to come out here and have a face-to-face with us, we're not scared, why are you guys scared, what are we doing here, uh, Cross, he will say a couple words, but in just, he will say, by our agreement, we did technically meet face-to-face, because you're out here, and we're out here, but we're not going to be fighting you here tonight, Bobby and the prophets, they will have different ideas you see the prophets leave the ring go after authors of pain and as bobby will try to leave the ring you see scarlet get on the back of bobby and start trying to get at his face clawing his face up this allowed carrion to get in carrion will start beating up on bobby uh the final testament they will stand tall they will lay out the prophets they will lay out bobby lashley and that's the last thing that you will see of this segment here and again we're proving into uh royal rumble territories Bobby Lashley's in the Royal Rumble. So you know, by proxy, Karrion Cross is more than likely going to have to be in the Rumble. And you know that the Prophets more than likely got to be in the Rumble. And if the Prophets are in there, more than likely, Authors of Pain. So you know we're going to get a group, at least War War faction uh, thing between those two at the Royal Rumble, leading to eliminations between both groups. So that's kind of what's going to happen at the Rumble, at least from my perspective. Now, after this, we would get Austin Theory going against Carmelo Hayes. Theory would have Grace Waller in his corner. Austin Theory would win the match by pinfall when he would get uh, Carmelo Hayes in a O'Connor roll and hold on to the handful of tights to win the match. After the match, you see Carmelo like go after Theory. This will lead to Grace Waller come in to back Theory up. Now, it's a two-on-one beatdown on Carmelo Hayes. Until Trick Williams comes down and make the save. And the crowd is happy to see Trick here. They start doing the whole whoop that trick chant. And they're in Florida. NXT is based out of in Florida. So this is the NXT crowd here. In, like influenced into the audience. The main roster audience here. So you get people to say whoop that trick. You get people to see happy for Trick to stand by. Mellow here, they take out Waller, they take out Theory, and you see both Trick and Mellow standing 
in the middle of the ring. And you see Melo go over to Trick and try to dap him up. But Trick tells him, it ain't that type of party. He tells him, we have a match on NXT this upcoming Tuesday. And I want to make sure you stay fresh. So the story between Melo and Trick is not only transferring from NXT, it's moving over to SmackDown as well. It seems that Melo is constantly being on SmackDown, so you could tell that. Um, storylines are no longer just going to be staying on spot. NXT storylines are going to be drifted over to SmackDown, and especially with the way the SmackDown and NXT have been uh, fusing with their shows, technically, with NXT stars going over to SmackDown, I, I'm i going to be really interested to see how this works, because if Melo and uh, Trick don't win their tag team match this next Tuesday, which I think that's crazy if they don't, but just hear me out, if they don't win that match next Tuesday, and Melo, he goes over to SmackDown, you can best believe Trick's probably going to follow him after that, and probably have some words with them. As I said, the rivalry isn't just staying on NXT is moved over to SmackDown as well with this whole influx. So it's going to be a real interesting time next week on SmackDown. Now, we move over to the main event. It's LA Knight going against Sol Sokoa. Sol Sokoa will have Jimmy and Paul in his corner. Um, this match would get thrown out because as LA Knight and Sol Sokoa are fighting outside the ring, AJ Styles would appear on the barricade and he would jump off and hit LA Knight with a phenomenal forearm. This will have the referee ring the bell. You see LA Knight get attacked more by AJ. You see Jimmy Uso appear with the steel chair. He looks at AJ and AJ looks at him. And you see Jimmy hand AJ the chair and tell him go ahead and hit LA Knight with it. Now, this is from an earlier conversation that Jimmy had with AJ in the show, and LA Knight isn't privy to this. AJ was taught to by Jimmy. Jimmy's trying to convince AJ to take out LA Knight, so just make the World Championship matchup at the Royal Rumble be a triple threat match instead of a fatal four-way matchup. They're trying to take LA out. So we have this moment here. You see AJ with the chair. He looks at LA Knight. Solo will go over to AJ, say something to AJ. AJ would make his decision there, and he would hit both Solo and Jimmy with the steel chair. So now you got both Solo and Jimmy beating up on AJ until Randy Orton comes out. Uh, Randy would come out. You see AJ beats up on Solo. You see Jimmy trying to make the escape. Randy would catch Jimmy, hit him with the Hangman DDT. Then you would see Randy hit Jimmy with an RKO. Then you see Solo's will come in, and Randy will hit Solo with an RKO. AJ Styles, he would try to hit Randy with a phenomenal forearm, and Randy, he would duck that, and he would catch AJ, get him with a draping DDT, and you would see SmackDown about to go off because Randy's in his corner posing, and as Randy gets off the corner, LA Knight would grab Randy, turn him around, hit him with the BFT, Blunt Force Trauma, and SmackDown will go off with LA Knight being the last man standing. Now, as I've said this, this was the SmackDown before Royal Rumble. This is the last SmackDown of, well, before the Royal Rumble. So we did not get Roman Reigns here. And I'm kind of shocked at that. I at least thought that Roman would have been there. But again, they're trying to preserve Roman as best as they can. So I understand and I respect it. But I just wish he would have been on SmackDown just to kind of edge it out and make people uh, see Roman probably get 
dominated or him being a dominator as they go into the Royal Rumble one more time. Um, but yeah, that's all I got to say about SmackDown. But with that, that's your SmackDown Wrestling Highlights of the Week. And now we move over to AEW Rampage. Rampage will open up with the ace of AEW, the flag bearer, John Moxley, going against Lee Moriarty, who has Shane Taylor in his corner. John Moxley would win the match by referee stoppage when he would beat up uh, Lee Moriarty so much towards the end of the match that he put him in a bulldog choke. Lee Moriarty did not want to tap out, so he just decided to pass out. Lee Moriarty showed a lot of guts in this match with John Moxley. Uh, they went back and forth. Lee Moriarty ate a lot of uh, finishing holds and finishing moves towards the end. He ate a King Kong Larry. He ate a uh, pile driver, mad multiple, like, what did I like to call it? Like the anvil, like elbow smashes to the chest. I mean, John Moxley threw everything he can on him except for the paradigm shift. I did notice that. He did not try to hit Lee Moriarty, not once with a paradigm shift. I mean, he tried to attempt it, but he was never uh, successful with it. So, Lee Moriarty did take everything John Moxley had, but also Lee Moriarty did throw everything at John Moxley as well. So, it was a nice back and forth match between Lee and John. After the match, you see John Moxley extend his hand out to Lee Moriarty to show him respect. Shane Taylor would get in the ring and tell Lee, don't shake John's hand. And Lee would. But this was a setup because Shane Taylor would punch John Moxley in the face. Lee Moriarty would get up, smile on his face, and start shouting to the fans, shouting to John Moxley, I don't need his respect, I don't need y'all respect. And you would see a 2-1 beatdown, Lee Moriarty and Shane Taylor. Now the reason why Lee Moriarty says this is because Shane Taylor, he had a match with John Moxley, and I believe that was on Collision. And... Shane Taylor backstage after the match was over with his backstage promo, he mentioned how people didn't want to pick Lee Moriarty whenever they were making their groups. He mentioned how Chris Jericho picked Daniel Garcia. The Blackpool Comic Club picked uh, Wheeler Yuta and how Lee Moriarty was basically left out in the cold. So Shane Taylor, he picked Lee Moriarty because Lee Moriarty could show everyone that they made a grave mistake. So that's the reason why you see this beef or this beat down why it makes more sense now so after this we now know what's going to happen on collision collision you'll be have a tag team matchup of shane taylor promotions which is shane taylor and lee moriarty going against claudio castagnoli and john moxley now next matchup will be christopher daniels going against kenosuke takeshita who would have kyle fletcher and powerhouse Hobbs in this corner don Callis he will be on commentary for this matchup christopher daniels he was just basically a beat up uh, Ragdoll in this matchup for Kanosuke Takeshita. Takeshita would beat up on Christopher Daniels, get the win, hit him with a running knee strike to the face. That's it. Um, after this, Don Callis, he would get in the ring. He would let everyone know that in two weeks, Chris Jericho will be facing Kanosuke Takeshita on Dynamite. Kyle Fletcher, he would interrupt Don and say, Kanosuke already had his shot. Powerhouse Hob already had his shot with Chris Jericho. It's about time that I have mine. Don will say, I like the moxie, and you're right. So next week, Chris Jericho will be facing Kyle Fletcher, and then the week after that, he'll be facing Kanosuke Takeshita. Now, after this, we'll get to our next matchup. Ruby Soho, who will have Harley Cameron and Soraya in her corner, going against Anna Jay. 
Anna Jay would win this match by submission when she will lock in the Queen Slayer on Ruby and Ruby would tap out. Now, important thing to note about this, uh, before Anna Jay did lock in the Queen Slayer on Ruby, she will let Ruby know that she did not do it. What she was referring to is uh, Cool Hand Angelo Parker has been trying to court Ruby and it seems that we've been getting into this romantic relationship storyline between Ruby and Angelo. Soraya has been trying to meddle in and kind of stick her nose into that relationship and even got to a point that Soraya set up Holly Cameron to kiss Angelo and Ruby recorded that all by nefarious means. Angelo was not kissing uh, Harley Cameron, he pushed her away, but Ruby only saw part of the video that Soraya wanted her to see. Uh, weeks later, you would see Ruby run up on Harley and ask her, why did you do it? Harley would say that Anna told her to do it. So now we have this match because of that. And Anna did tell Ruby as she was still choking around, I didn't do it. So now we're going to get more into that story next week on Rampage. Now we go over into our main event. Fatal 4-Way matchup for the Rumble Contender uh, shot at Orange Cassidy International Championship on Collision. We would have Kit Sabian, The Butcher, Commander, and El Hino Del Vinkingo. Commander would win the match by pinfall when Kip Sabian would look to go for, a, I believe, a suplex. And Commander would counter that into a Karana to get the pinfall over Kip to win the match. Now he will be facing Orange Cassidy for the International Championship on Collision. So that's how AEW Rampage would end. So that's your Rampage Wrestling Highlights of the week. Now, before I get you guys out of here, two quick things. One, I'm not going to be talking about the Vince McMahon business. I'll be talking about that more, well, in general, tomorrow on my Sunday episode because that escapes the round of professional wrestling. That's going into the world business because that... uh news topic affects WWE business, affects TKO business, so that's the reason why I'm not covering here on the Wrestling Highlights of the Week, but do know I will be talking about that tomorrow on my Sunday episode, and two, now I gotta talk about the Royal Rumble. Royal Rumble only has four matches. It has the Men's Rumble, the Women's Rumble, the WWE Championship, and the United States Championship matches. Now, I'm gonna give you my predictions for who's gonna win both matches, well, all the matches, but for the men and women, I will have a primary winner and a secondary winner for both the men rumble and the women's rumble. So you're going to get two picks on uh, both of those rumbles from me. Now, for the United States Championship, Logan Paul defending the title against Kevin Owens. Logan Paul, he's going to retain the championship. Logan Paul just got started holding that U.S. championship, and I believe this is his first uh, defense of said championship as reign of uh, champion. So, Logan Paul, I feel that he's going to beat Kevin Owens, whether it be by nefarious or straight up, I think by nefarious means. Logan Paul is going to uh, beat Kevin Owens to retain the United States Championship because I still think they have plans for Logan Paul to be in some type of specialty attraction match at uh, WrestleMania. So, Logan Paul retaining the U.S. Championship. Uh, WWE Championship, Roman Reigns, Randy Orton, AJ Styles, LA Knight. I'm still sticking with Roman. Roman has been top dog almost for four whole years holding that WWE Undisputed Universal Championship. Uh, Randy Orton would probably be my close second. It's for sure not going to be LA Knight or AJ Styles. Love both of those guys, but 
Randy, he just came back. He's getting the crowd love, crowd support, and people want to see him. And he gets one of the biggest pops on SmackDown when he does pop up. But Roman, he's just the top dog. He's the guy. He's the top of the ladder. He's at the top of the food chain for the WWE. And I don't see them taking the title off of him here in this Fatal 4-Way match. I really don't. I believe they might even still keep the title on him even at WrestleMania. But I got to wait and see who he'll be facing. But I'll get more into that in a minute. Um, but Roman will retain his championship. The Women's Royal Rumble, SmackDown, they played a highlight clip or a clip of Bailey talking about her life in WWE, how when she came in, how she's been uh, racking up all these accolades and all this such and such, how she came up with damage control, all this type of stuff. So for them to do that type of video package on Bailey, I think they're going to have Bailey at least win the Women's Royal Rumble, or at least come close to winning it and get screwed some way, somehow. But Bailey's going to be my first choice to win the Royal Rumble. Uh, my second one, uh, I'm not going to go with Becky because I think they're going to have Becky go a different route to win the Royal Rumble here. If I was a betting man to jumpstart someone's career, I'm going to go with Jade Cargill. Jay Cargo has not been on WWE since, what, I'll say October. The last time that we saw her was in attendance when Becky went against Lyra Valkyrie for the NXT Women's Championship. That was the last time that we saw um, Jay Cargo. So I think for them to jumpstart her career on a big fast track, I think they're going to have Jay Cargo win the Rumble. So that's like my second pick. So I have Bailey as my first, but Jay Cargo is going to be second. Uh, for the men's rumble, it's quite simple. It's either going to be Cody or it's going to be CM Punk. I don't care if I switch, swap it, Cody be the primary, secondary, Punk, or Punk be the primary, and Cody second. I don't care. One of those two guys are winning it. After I watched SmackDown this week, I was easily with the conclusion that it's definitely going to be a Raw superstar. Because there's nobody on the SmackDown side that who, if they were to win, people would be like so elated to see them win the rumble. And I thought about it. Bobby Lashley, yes, he's a great competitor, but right now, well, what he's stuck with with Karrion Cross, everybody will be having their head scratching and say, we gave this to Bobby. Same thing with Karrion Cross. Everybody will be having their head scratching and say, we gave this to Bobby. Out of that, I don't think there's any other like competitor on the SmackDown roster that could do this matchup and win it with justice with the fans being okay with it. On the Raw side, you got how many credible people? You have three. You have Punk, uh, Cody, you have Gunther. Oh, yeah, and Drew McIntyre. But if Drew would win, I don't think people would be happy with that neither. I think people would be scratching their head like, we gave this thing to Drew. But again, it's all about perception how they all craft it out. Raw is going to win this men's Royal Rumble. That's just what's going to happen. But who's going to win it for the men's side is the question mark. Again, I have it, Cody or CM Punk. Those are my two picks. And if it's not one of those two, I'll be surprised. I'm going to be completely honest. Now, with the Royal Rumble predictions out of the way, I want to let you guys know, the Sunday episode will be, as usual, will be coming out tomorrow where I talk about everything in the news, media, all that type of stuff and jazz. And also, with the Royal Rumble happening tonight, if you're listening to this episode on a Saturday, I'll be talking about the Royal Rumble tomorrow as well. So you'll be getting a double dose episode tomorrow. Well, episodes tomorrow. So be on the lookout for that as well. Now, with that being said, I hope you guys have a great Saturday. I hope you guys keep 
uh, calm, keep warm if you're in a cold area. And if you're in a warm area like myself, try to keep cool somewhere. Checks and balances out here in the world, right? Uh, be kind to yourself. Be cool to everybody. Be nice. Uh, have a great Saturday. This is Wrestling Highlights of the Week, presented by my Two Cents Podcast, hosted by G2. I love you all. Have a great day. Just watch this. Ain't no way you can stop us. Be your sky and easy pain. Nobody can stop us. They not prepared for the stamina. Way too much for you amateurs. Lay you down for the count. It's still look good for the cameras. Let me know if you had enough. The W's added. It's not bragging when you know you got the skill.